My name is Dave, and it's, I'm on staff, and it's good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, for the last, um, well, last week we started a series in which uh, we're just answering questions, and we asked you to fill in the blank, what does God think about blank? And there were a number of questions that were submitted, and last week Britton shared, uh, uh, answered the question, what does God think about the idol of entertainment? And that was the top question that was uh, shared. And so what does God think about the idol of entertainment? What I love that uh, Britton shared last week was um, how it's not like just, uh, oh, I need to get rid of this or that or whatever, but really responding to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit as, uh, as he is prompting, as he is showing you what you need to get rid of and, and, and what it looks like for you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I think it's important as we go through this conversation, as we answer a lot of these questions, I, I think it's important that constantly we go back to uh, what does the word have to say? Not just whoever's up here, what are we saying, but, but be diligent uh, students of the word. Read scripture on a regular basis. What does the word have to say? What is God telling you? And then secondly, I think that is, is so crucial as we're talking about things and as we get into some more conversations, maybe even on government and, and, and raising kids and all of that, um, I think it's so important that we have face-to-face conversations. Because I believe that is like lacking in our world today. That even if we disagree, even if we have an issue, uh, Scripture's very clear to go and talk to somebody face-to-face. And so uh, my prayer as we go through this is that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, that we would learn what the Word has to say about a variety of things, and that we would have conversations with one another. And just this week I was uh, talking with uh, four people on Wednesday, four uh, people who are uh, discipling teenagers, and we had a wonderful conversation, and the, the beauty of it was we didn't all agree on everything. And we were able to have a, a conversation uh, about that. And so I encourage you to press in. And if something is stirring in you, seek somebody out to talk about it. Um, don't just hide away and, and fill in the blank, um, but seek a conversation. And so today we are going to uh, talk about uh, uh, this question up on the screen. And uh, I, uh, last week we talked about the, what does um, God say about the idol of entertainment. And that was the top question. This was actually tied with it. What does God think about suffering? What does God think about suffering? But then the other question was uh, submitted alongside of that. What is, why are some dealt a worse hand than others? So for the next couple hours, we're going to talk about all that God has to talk about suffering. And my goodness, like that is a broad subject, but like such an important subject. But I don't know about you, I, I was drawn to that second question. Why are some dealt a worse hand than others? And I don't know about you, but for me, I just felt the pain in that question. We don't know who submits these questions, but the truth is many could have submitted this question because I look out and many of you know what it means to suffer. If you're here this morning on uh, on this Sunday morning and you're sitting in our wonderful full benches, but uh, your body is filled with pain, chronic pain, something that you have dealt with for a long time. Some of you know the, what it means to lose uh, a child to lose a, a spouse, to lose a, a husband or a wife, to lose a dear friend, to lose a parent. Some of you have been, been sick for a long time or have ha- had kids who have struggled with illness for a while. Some of you know the pain from your past, and it haunts you today. The pain of, of somebody who did something to you, who abused you emotionally, physically, sexually. And this question of suffering is one that, that many of us could uh, have asked 
What does God think about suffering? And, and this question is more than just a, a topic to be discussed. Like all of these topics, all these conversations are more than just topics to be discussed. This is real life. This is real life for you, for me. This is real life for people who are living in our town, who are wondering, what does God say about a lot of these questions? What does God think about suffering? It's not just a topic to be batted back and forth. It's, it's a, a just conversation about real life. And with the topic of suffering comes a bunch of questions. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why can't I get a break? Why is it like every day there's something, you know, something else happens? You know, just as when you think like you're, you're done with suffering, all of a sudden something else uh, occurs. What God think about this leads to a bunch of questions about God. God, what are you doing? Why is this in my life? God, where are you? Those big why questions topic of suffering has actually led to many people not following Jesus. They're like, how can I follow and worship a God when all of this is happening in this world? And so my hope this morning, as we talk about this question of why or what does God think about suffering, as we address this, my hope and my prayer for myself and for all of us in this room is that we would actually learn how to suffer well, how to approach suffering really well, because the truth is, if you haven't suffered in your life, you will suffer. It will happen. It will occur in your life. And how do we be prepared to, to suffer well and to stand on a firm foundation in the midst of a storm and the wind and the waves that are crashing all around us? When you get the news that you don't want to hear, how do you suffer well? When, when people say things about you and ridicule you about your faith in Jesus, how do you suffer well in the midst of that? How do you respond when you have questions flood your mind. How do we approach this topic of suffering and do it well? And then on top of that, what I have seen, what I have even experienced myself, in the midst of suffering, people say the dumbest things. And some of the worst theology or thinking about God comes out. And I'll be honest, there are things that have been said to me, but there's times where I've said things in the midst of, of suffering, somebody's suffering, I'm like, ooh, I wish I would have said that a little differently. When it comes to suffering, we want to approach it well, but the truth is, if you're in the midst of suffering, that's the worst time to unleash a, a, or to hear a sermon on suffering or have somebody say, well, you could think about it this way or this way. And so really, as we go through this conversation this morning, we want to lay a foundation. What does God think about suffering? So when we approach it, we can approach it standing on firm ground instead of shifting sands. Do me a favor, turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture uh, this morning. And you might not be able to flip through to uh, all this scripture, but I want to encourage you just to write down the references and look back at them later this week. And so Job chapter 1, we're introduced to a man who is devout who is a, a follower of God, who's blameless, who's upright. And Job takes place, if you're looking at for Job, it's just look at Psalms, find Psalms in the middle of the Bible and take a left. It's the next book over. Um, Job is written around Genesis 9, so very early on, even though it's positioned in our, our Bible in the middle, it is written around Job chapter, or around Genesis 9. And so very early on, God addresses this topic of suffering. And the first thing I want to talk about this morning is what is the source of suffering? Where does suffering come from? So we'll start at Job chapter 1, verse 6. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and met for the testing to see what Satan unleashed for fury on Job's life. For he saw servants killed, livestock killed. Ended up at the end, it ends up in the end of Job chapter 1 that his seven sons and his three daughters are killed, a family of ten. But early on in, in scripture, early on, we see that, that the source of suffering is that we have this kingdom conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. We see that, that Satan is the one who is the source of suffering. Now, I know as we read this, it's like, okay, why did God allow that to happen? I don't know because I'm not God. But we know throughout scripture and we see throughout scripture that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. That we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That he is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the only thing that he wants for your life and he wants for my life. So when we think about suffering, we have to be reminded that there is a source of suffering and there is an enemy who wants to take out our lives. There is this kingdom conflict that is going on. But there is good news. Turn over to Revelation chapter 12. rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And we see that picture that there is victory through the blood of Jesus. And that is something to be celebrated and, and we worship Jesus and, and for the, the, the price that he paid for us. But then verse 12 it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So we see the source of suffering from the enemy. 
But there's good news in there that, that what do you owe worth? The devil has been thrown down. He's going to unleash great wrath, but he knows that his time is short. And so from the very beginning, we have to see that the source of suffering comes from an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But even we see this in, in Revelation 12. We see it in Job chapter 1, that while he is unleashing suffering in the world and pain and sickness in the world, he is on a leash, and God is the one who holds the reins. And on top of that, Jesus has overcome. Jesus has conquered. And so there is victory. But for a short time, even though it might feel like a long time, for a short time, there is wrath. There is suffering that he is unleashing in this world. And so the source of suffering comes from the, comes from the enemy. And there's also another reason that you and I suffer as followers of Jesus. It's because the word is very clear that as followers of Jesus, you and I are going to face persecution. We'll flip over a couple books to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and, and Peter's writing to a, a, a group of followers of Jesus who are experiencing suffering in the world. And they're like, what's going on? And Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So let no one of you, none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Instead, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He starts out by saying, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Do not be surprised when suffering happens. And there's a, a lie that, that many believe in our world today that as followers of Jesus, if we just have enough faith, if we just um, uh, follow Jesus, everything is going to turn out well for us. There is this prosperity gospel thinking that you're going to have a life that is just nice and easy, but the only problem with that is Scripture. All the way throughout the New Testament, the words of Jesus, he says, if they, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Even Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, woe to you if all people speak well of you. Suffering will come as far as of Jesus because there are people who don't like the fact that you are a follower of Jesus. Don't like what you stand for, don't like who you're living for. And so Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. And I think sometimes in our lives we're like, I'm so surprised that, that, um, that suffering is happening. And I would say, be surprised if it's not. Because it's to be expected as a follower of Jesus because suffering will come into our lives in the form of persecution and people who do not like the fact that you are a follower of Jesus. Now, I say that, and for us in America, we, I don't think, well, I don't think, I know that we haven't suffered like our brothers and sisters around the world. Because when it comes to them for following, for following Jesus, that means a loss of family. It means social implications. It's a huge cost to following Jesus. And so we need to know that suffering comes just by being a follower of Jesus. There will be people who will persecute you because of our allegiance to Jesus. But also Peter says in here in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. There will be times when we suffer because of the choices and the sin in our lives. It's just a natural consequence. There's brokenness because of sinful decisions that will come. And so from the very beginning, I want to lay a foundation that, that suffering exists because there is an enemy in the world that is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. 
when it comes to suffering, suffering is often undeserved, even though there are times where some of our choices result in suffering, but is often undeserved. No one deserves to have a child get sick. No one deserves sickness. It is often unimaginable. Unimaginable. You just, you just read through Job and just hear all that happened to him. And it's just one day after the next, after the next, suffering hits. It's kind of like our lives. We go about our day, and we're like, all of a sudden, just suffering. We're like, my goodness, this is just so unmanageable, and it's often unpredictable. No one wakes up on, a day, on any day and says, you know what, today's going to be a great day to suffer. It's often unimaginable, unpredictable, but here's the thing. Suffering is always, always permanent, no matter what you're going through. It doesn't doesn't benefit us to, to, to compare suffering, to say there is one that is greater than the other, because suffering is always painful, and Scripture never tells us just to sweep that under the rug, but instead to be real, to mourn with those who mourn, to grieve with those who grieve. And so as far as with Jesus here in this room, I want our response to be like Job. Look at Job chapter 1 again, towards the end of chapter 1. This is how he responds after just suffering just takes over his life. This is his response, and this is what, how I want us to respond as well. It says, then Job arose in verse 20 of chapter 1, tore his robe and shaved his head, extreme grief, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. How do we have that approach? How do we have that type of attitude that Job displays here, that, that he worshipped? He grieved deeply, but he worshipped the Lord, and he never sinned. What does God think about suffering? He's grieved by it. He's absolutely grieved by it. I think of Jesus when he heard that his friend Lazarus had died. What was his response? Many of you have memorized this verse. It says Jesus wept. He wept over the loss of his friend, that his friend had died. God weeps over suffering, grieves over suffering. But here's the things that I want us to think about, about suffering this morning. When it comes to suffering, that God is with us, that he uses it, and he's glorified in the midst of it. Never forget that, that God is with you. And I think that is very important for us to always remember when we're going through suffering. Psalm 139 is clear on this. There is nowhere on the face of this planet that we can go that is apart from God's presence. If I go to the highest heavens, he's there. If I go to the, the lowest depths, God is there. God is always with you and I. And many, when they face suffering, when they're going through hard times, they're like, God, where are you? The truth is that he is with you. Actually, that is the thing that we need to remember and experience the most. As Job went through his suffering and, and people tried to respond by saying, hey, this is why this is happening. And he had three buddies who gave him, you know, thoughts on why all of the suffering was happening. They were trying to explain it. Finally, in, in Job chapter 37, God speaks. And God does not give an explanation. Instead, he asks 64 questions of Job that reveal his power his greatness, his love, and his passion. 
And so you and I, what we need in the midst of suffering the most is to know God's presence. We don't need an explanation why this or that is happening, even though we might want that. We don't need that. What we need is a revelation of God's presence and power in our lives, that he is with us. And that is a very rock-solid foundational promise that we can stand on every day of our lives, that he is always with us. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. He will be with us. Often when we see people suffer in the New Testament, it says that the Lord was with them, or they experienced closeness with the Lord. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned for his faith in Jesus. And he says he looked up to heaven, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand suffering, you need to know that God is with you. God is very present with you. It's often in the midst of suffering that we experience this closeness. And while we don't want to go through suffering again or difficult times again, it's often in the midst of suffering that we're like, God, I wish I had a closeness with you right now. And at the end of the day, that's what we need. That's something that I've learned about being a dad and being a husband for 20 years when a problem arises in the house, what they don't need is for Dave to come in and explain it all. Or if they say, hey, I have this problem, they don't need me to go into problem-solving mode and say, well, you should just do this, this, and this, and this. And what they need is my presence, my love, my comfort in the midst of that. And the same is true with God. When we're going through suffering, we need to know that he is with us. Often when it comes to suffering, he's with us and he uses suffering to advance his kingdom in us and through us. Look at these verses, this verse from, um, where is it? Romans 3. There are some things that can only be produced by suffering. God wants to work in our hearts in the midst of suffering. And I say that, I say that we have to be a little careful because we can often say, well, that's the reason I'm suffering. Must be what God wants. I'll get to that in a little bit. But there are things that God can accomplish only in the midst of suffering. Look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope produces put us in strength, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's a character that is developed in the midst of suffering. I don't know anybody in this room who wouldn't want hope and uh, endurance and character. We want those to be true in our lives, but often we don't want to go through what it takes to get there. Suffering produces those in our lives, according to Romans 5. James 1, 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There are ways that the kingdom of God advances in us and that we're shaped into Christ-likeness in the midst of suffering. So God uses suffering. God uses suffering to advance his kingdom in us, but he also uses suffering to advance his kingdom through us. Because if you have experienced the comfort of the Lord in the midst of suffering, he doesn't want you just to, to take that and be like, well, that was great for me. No, 2 Corinthians says that we experience comfort. Why? So that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When you're going through what you're going through and being comforted by the Lord, you have a huge opportunity to comfort others in the midst of those sufferings. And the cool thing, according to these verses, is suffering doesn't have to match up, doesn't have to be the same. Because the truth is, if we receive comfort from the Lord, that is true in any circumstance, in any situation. We can help people to comfort them in the midst of their suffering. As I think about suffering, and I think about the, the kingdom advancing in the midst of suffering, and I can't help but think about the foundation of our faith, that in the midst of Christ's suffering, Christ the righteous suffering for the unrighteous, God's kingdom advanced through reconciled people to God kingdom advances in the midst of suffering. God uses suffering all around the world where the church is suffering and being persecuted. The amazing thing is that the church doesn't shrink back, doesn't shrink in size, but the kingdom absolutely advances. Because God is with us in the midst of suffering, he uses it, but most importantly, he glorifies in the midst of it. Look at John chapter 9. This is where I want to get a little practical in our lives. John chapter 9. healing a man born blind. I want to read just the first couple verses. It says, as he passed by, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed that's a question that many people ask. Like, why is this happening? Who sinned? Did, did sin produce this blindness? And there was this thinking back in the day when that, that if somebody was born blind, it was uh, God was punishing, punishing them or getting them back. And I think sometimes today when we face suffering, when we go through things, we're like, oh, God must be getting me back. God must be paying me back for something that I did in my life. And the truth is that is not happening. God took care of the problem of sin by sending his son Jesus to the, to the cross. The punishment has already been paid. He's not getting us back. But here is the very key thing. Why is something happening in your life? It's so that the works of God might be displayed in your life. So that the works of God might be displayed in your life. And how does that happen? How does the works of God be displayed in the midst of our life, in the midst of suffering? And I would say this, two ways. Sometimes God comes and moves in a miraculous way. Sometimes God's kingdom comes to earth in a powerful, supernatural way and shows up and there's healing, there's restoration, there's, there's things that happen that are absolutely unexplainable except that the kingdom of God comes crashing into it. And the truth is when you and I face sickness, when we face difficulties, when we face a situation like that, like how are we supposed to pray because Scripture says that if we pray according to his will, that God will hear. And it leads me to think, well, what is God's will? What does he want us to pray? And I go to Luke chapter 11 and, and Matthew 6 in the, in the Lord's Prayer. And early on, we get a picture of how to pray when we face suffering, when we face difficulties in our lives. Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. 
Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So what is the kingdom? What are we asking for in that moment? In Revelation chapter 21, we get a picture of that kingdom. And it's this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so when we come to a situation in our life and suffering, we are to pray and ask God that your kingdom would come. That your kingdom that we see in Revelation 21, that that would come. That that would happen. That that is God's will. And there are times when I've seen that happen in powerful ways. And I'm blown away. God's kingdom comes and all of a sudden someone is healed. Someone receives peace. And I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you are at work. This is absolutely amazing. But there are also times where it doesn't happen. And i got to be honest, I've prayed with people and they've died. I've prayed with people and had so much faith, like, God, you're going to do something, and they're still sick. And some people would say, well, you just have to have enough faith. I want to just say a little bit about that. There have been people that have told me or told others, just believe me. And it's true that God responds to faith, but Jesus responds to faith too throughout the scriptures. But let me remind you and I that we only have to have faith as small of a mustard seed to believe God. And I apologize if anybody has ever hurt you by saying you just have to muster up enough faith and then God will heal you. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus responds to faith, but there are some times where we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen. And I don't know why that is the case. But I just say that my perspective is just an earthly one. I'm here on earth. God's in heaven, and I don't know all the answers. But what I do know is that as followers of Jesus, we are to pray and ask that the Lord's kingdom, his kingdom would come to earth. And so for you and I in the midst of suffering, the thing that I hope happens today is we develop a a perseverance, a, a boldness to keep going right into the throne room of God because of the blood of Jesus and say, God, this is what I want. I want to see your kingdom come in my life, in my friend's life, in the people's lives who are suffering. And sometimes... God will come in a miraculous way, and his kingdom will come, and healing will happen. But there's other times when healing doesn't happen. But the reality is that in those moments, we see what happened with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. As Paul pleads and pleads and pleads that the stone would be taken from his head, and nothing to escape. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Every day, my grace is sufficient. So sometimes God will heal, but all the time, God will just hold us and give us grace for the next five minutes or for the next hour or for the next situation. And that's where we also need to pray. God, your works are going to be on display in my life. Would you just give me grace to take one step at a time in the midst of my life that is just crashing all around me? See, God wants to be glorified in your life in the midst of suffering. Like Job, he worshiped. Grieved and worshiped. He wants you, those of him, to be worshiped and glorified in in your life as you go through and you keep asking God for his kingdom to come in your life. But as you also rely on his grace to give you strength to do that. But also as followers of Jesus, you and I suffer. But we don't suffer alone. We don't suffer without hope. We actually suffer with a ton of hope. 
kind of close on this, and I want to pray for those who are suffering here. And I just have you join me in a prayer. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As far as as Jesus, we have to remember that we don't suffer without hope. We have a ton of hope because we are citizens of heaven. And yes, we are here on this earth that sometimes seems for a long time, but it actually is just a a, a blip. And then we're with the Lord face to face. And that, as we see him face to face, as we fix our eyes on him, that totally blows away the light and momentary affliction that we are experiencing. And so you and I suffer because we don't suffer without hope. We have to suffer full of hope with our eyes focused on Jesus. Because one day, one day, we'll all be healed. Tears will be wiped from our face. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more weeping when we have seen him face to face. But until that day, scripture is very clear that we are to ask, keep asking, that we are to seek and keep seeking, and we are to keep knocking. Whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, suffering that we experience, we we continue to pour it out before the Lord. So that's what I want to do this morning. You are here this morning and you're going through suffering. Whatever it is, I don't want us to compare suffering, saying one is greater than the other. If you are suffering in any way, in a little bit, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to ask people around you just to gather around you and pray for you. Pray that God's kingdom would come in a powerful way in your life. And maybe you don't want the people around you to pray for you. That is totally fine. If you want it just to be a little bit more confidential, we're going to have prayer teams up front. You can come up front and receive prayer from them as well. But I really don't want to just talk about the fact that, that God is present with us in the midst of our suffering, that he wants us to, uh, his kingdom to come in powerful ways. I want us to actually step out and pray for one another. And so if you're here this morning and you're suffering, and you don't need to get into the details, just I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. Just raise your hand. And if there are people around you, here, there's a person who's raising their hand. People around you, why don't you gather around them right now and pray. We'll have the person stand up. If you're suffering here this morning, just stand and these people will gather around you to pray. I also would love our prayer teams to come forward. And then we're also going to, I'd love the, the, the band to come on up. And we're going to continue with the time of worship and prayer. And so these people who are standing, gather around them right now and pray. Pray for God's kingdom to come in your life. Pray for them. And if you would like to receive prayer in more of a confidential way, just come up front and our prayer teams will pray over you. Let's continue to pray and worship.